followers. Followers are very important in social media. The number of followers you have determines your success in that realm, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and so forth. That's why I'm not on there. I can't pay people to follow me on there. But if you have lots of followers, you are considered a success on social media. It doesn't matter if what you say is profound and world-changing or not. It doesn't matter if what you are doing on social media is adding value to people's lives or not. It just matters that you have followers. Being a follower on social media demands very little of you. You're not expected to do anything to be a follower other than click the button that makes you a follower. You don't have to do anything else after that. In fact, you don't even really have to follow that person. The level of commitment required by you and me as a follower to the one that we're following is virtually zero. Some of the most followed people which most of us will recognize, include Ariana Grande has 265 million followers on Instagram. Mr. Bean, yeah, the Mr. Bean, has 130 million followers on Facebook. Will Smith has some 60 million TikTok followers and 110 million Facebook followers. Justin Bieber, Katie Perry and Barack Obama all have over 110 million followers on Twitter. The person who is at or near the top of most of the major social media platforms is Cristiano Ronaldo, a soccer player from Portugal. A lot of you are going, who? Goes to show you, there's a lot of stuff going on out there that you don't know about. He's the most followed person on Instagram with over 336 million followers. He's also the most followed person on Facebook with over 150 million followers. And he is the fifth most followed person on Twitter with some 100 million followers. And you're missing out because I know most of you are not following Ronaldo. How many of these millions of followers of these folks really know the person that they're following? What kind of relationship do most of these people have with the one they're following? What kind of commitment do these millions of followers have to the one they're following? Jesus Christ invites people to follow Him too. But what He means by follow is very different from what the word has come to mean in the age of social media. Today, we will read about some of the first invitations that Jesus gave to people to become his followers and their responses to his invitation. Well, as a recap of the story up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist came as a herald for the coming of the Messiah. John's message was to prepare people for Jesus' coming. This was his mission, to get people prepared, to get their attention, to get them ready, to get them thinking about their need for the Savior. 
His message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And people from all over came to John to be baptized in the Jordan River as a public sign of their repentance and their renewed dedication to God. He told people that someone was coming who was so superior to himself that he was not even worthy to carry the man's sandals. John baptized people with water. The one coming after him would baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus then came to John to be baptized. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice of God the Father spoke from heaven, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then immediately after being baptized, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the desert wilderness where he would be tested and tempted by the devil. After being out in the desert wilderness some 40 days, fasting, weak and depleted, the devil then comes to Jesus and tempts him. He repeatedly tried to get Jesus to choose another way other than the path that God the Father intended for Jesus. Ways that appeared to be easier and more expedient. The devil tried to get Jesus to avoid the road of suffering and death, the road that would lead to his humiliation and crucifixion. That was the Father's path for Jesus. That was the mission that the Father had for the Son. That was the purpose that Jesus had come. He needed to take this path to win our salvation. Jesus countered each of the devil's temptations with Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Rather than turning stones to bread and trusting in Himself instead of the Father, He said, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Rather than forcing God the Father to provide a dramatic public rescue of Jesus' life, he said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Rather than accept the devil's offer to give him power over all of the kingdoms on earth, Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus refused to take the easy way out, to take any shortcuts, to trust in himself rather than the Father, to take his own path rather than the path that the Father had for him. Jesus chose to trust and obey the Father regardless of the cost to himself. Well, we pick the story up now in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. 4, verse 12. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. John the Baptist, being put in in prison, marked a significant change in the story. Jesus has finished, not Jesus, John has finished his work. He has completed his mission. It's now time for Jesus to begin his work. His public ministry among the people now starts. Verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. So after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went north into the region of Galilee. Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth, but rather than staying there, he settled in the town of Capernaum which would become his home base during his Galilean ministry. A significant portion of Jesus' ministry will be done in and around Capernaum. Capernaum was, excuse me, Capernaum was a great place for Jesus to do his public ministry. In those days, it was a center of commerce. There was the fishing industry, with Capernaum being located on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But further, and more importantly, the major trade road, the Via Maris, ran right through Capernaum. The Via Maris, which means way of the sea, was a major commerce route linking Egypt in the south with the many nations and cities in the north. This major trade trade route brought large numbers of people through the area from all over the known world, both Jews and non-Jews. This served as a means of spreading the news about Jesus far beyond Capernaum and even the boundaries of the small country of Israel. Matthew, he points out for us that Galilee, being the place where Jesus begins his public ministry, is another fulfillment of prophecy. He draws our attention here to the prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Galilee was part of the original land allotments of the Israelite tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. The prophet Isaiah referred to this region as Galilee of the Gentiles. See, even in the time of Isaiah, there were many non-Jewish people, Gentiles, living in that particular area. Some historians estimate that in Jesus' day, more than half the population of Galilee were Gentiles rather than Jews. It's interesting, too, to note the reference in the prophecy to the way of the sea. The Via Maris, the trade route running through the area, means way of the sea. The second verse of this prophecy, Isaiah 9-2, which is quoted here in verse 16, is a passage that is often used at Christmas time, making reference to the birth of Jesus. The people living in darkness, those living in the land of the shadow of death. This is a fitting description of this present life that we're living. This is a land of darkness with the shadow of death stretching across it. From the moment we are born into this world, we are dying. I don't mean to sound morbid, but it is true. The shadow of death looms over every life on this planet. The people have seen a great light. A light has dawned. That light is Jesus Christ. He has come, the light of the world. The arrival of Jesus in our world brings hope. His light of hope and life overcomes the darkness of death. John 1, 4, John wrote in his gospel, In him Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Although the message that Jesus is preaching has similar words as the message that John the Baptist was preaching, there's something very different about this message. The messenger is what is different, making the meaning of the message different too. See, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near, he's saying a very literal thing. He himself is heaven who has come near. In Jesus, God became flesh and lived among us. John the Baptist spoke of things that were coming. He performed acts that were symbolic. The baptizing of people as a symbolic act of repentance. Jesus, on the other hand, is the reality. What John was pointing to, Jesus is. In verse 18... It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. The Sea of Galilee. People often picture the Sea of Galilee as this massive body of water since it's referred to as a sea. The Sea of Galilee, in reality, though, is an inland lake. It's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles across. It has the distinction of being the lowest freshwater lake on Earth, sitting about 700 feet below sea level. The lake has a depth of about 140 feet. Now, you might recognize this last disciple from modern days, but that is the Sea of Galilee, where that disciple is at. To give you some perspective of the Sea of Galilee's size, Lake Tahoe, which has a similar shape, is about 22 miles long and 12 miles across, making it about two and a half times larger than the Sea of Galilee. As Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon, who we know more familiar as Peter, same guy, and his brother Andrew working. They were professional fishermen. And Jesus says to them, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. In other words, I will send you out in the same way that you are casting your nets to gather fish, you will be called to work at gathering other people to also become my followers. How did Peter and Andrew respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him? It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. The Greek word translated into English as at once, it means immediately, without delay. They waste no time responding to Jesus' invitation to follow him. And when we say they followed Jesus, we don't mean that they clicked the follow button on his Instagram page. Following Jesus means to become his disciple, committing our life to him. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Verse 21, it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. 
Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus walks a little further down the shore, and he sees James and his brother John, who are also professional fishermen, and he invites them, too, to also be his followers. They respond the same way that Peter and Andrew did. They immediately drop what they're doing, and they begin following Jesus. Now, we learn from Luke's gospel that Peter, Andrew, James, and John are all business partners with each other. Now, a quick word about the response that these four men have to Jesus' call to them to follow him. What we're reading here is probably not the very first moment that any of them had ever encountered Jesus. In all likelihood, these guys have been watching and listening to Jesus, considering what he has been saying, thinking about who Jesus is and what it means. So when Jesus calls them to follow him, they're ready. They don't say, let me think about it and get back to you in a few days. They have already been thinking about it. They have been wrestling with these things that Jesus has been saying, and they have made up their minds already, and they follow him immediately when he gives them the invitation to do it. Jesus calls these four guys to follow him, and that means to be his disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows and learns from another. In ancient times, if someone wanted to learn wisdom and pick up knowledge from a great person, they would become a disciple of that person following him around, listening to him, asking him questions, watching him, observing the way he lived. The disciples' goal was not to simply learn facts and acquire information about the one they were following. His goal was to become like his master in every possible way. He wanted to duplicate his master. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who follows him, seeking to become like him, to duplicate him, in their own life. Notice the kind of people that Jesus calls to be his disciples. Ordinary people. Jesus didn't go into the best college of the day in Israel and say to the dean of the school, I'm Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and I'm starting up a new movement to change the world, and I I need some really sharp people to help me. So can you give me the names of your 12 best students? He didn't do that. Instead, Jesus went down to the lake and he picked these four fishermen. We'll meet some of his other disciples later as we get further into this story in this book, but none of these people are superstars. They're all just regular folks. Jesus still chooses the same kind of people today, people like you and me. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to have some kind of special abilities or qualifications to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to be from a particular place. He calls people, all kinds of people. Everyone is invited to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus doesn't select and use people based on what they can do for him in the kingdom of God. He uses people for the work that he's going to do in them. He doesn't say, I'm going to use Jeff because he has amazing skills which will help to grow my kingdom. Instead, 
He says, I'm going to use Jeff because I'm going to transform his life. And that transformation will bring glory to my Heavenly Father. These four fishermen, they left everything and followed Jesus. Why? What compelled these men to make such a huge change in their life? Because they wanted more from life than making a few bucks from selling fish and then dropping dead one day. They wanted to know what life was about. They wanted a compelling reason for getting out of bed every day. They wanted their hearts set on fire with passion for something that matters, not only in this life, but in the life to come. They wanted to know the one who has known them from before they were born. John tells a story in his gospel of a time when a number of people stopped following Jesus because some of his teaching didn't set well with them. Jesus, he asked these 12 disciples if they wanted to stop following him too. And Peter, he answered and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Peter, he already knew what life without Jesus was like. He knew there was no reason to ever go back to that. He wanted the life that Jesus has to offer him. Well, what about you and me? Jesus is calling us to follow him too. Jesus calls us to leave our old life, our old goals, our old ways of doing things, our old affections, and follow him. Jesus wants to change our life and change lives through us. Do we want to be a part of that? Follow Jesus. Now, a quick point of clarification that I want to make at this point is, does becoming a follower of Jesus require that you leave your current occupation and become a full-time preacher or overseas missionary or something similar? No. For, for some people, Jesus may be calling them to do that. For most people, Jesus wants you to be a devoted follower in the place you are at right now in the family that you're a part of, in the neighborhood you're living in, in the job you already have, among the people that you're intersecting with in life. As a follower of Jesus, all of the things that we used to do take on a new kind of purpose and are infused with a new kind of life, His purpose and His life. Jesus wants to use you and me right now, right where we are. Can a person be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus, not be a follower of Jesus? No. The very idea is nonsensical. It makes no sense. A Christian, a real Christian, not a cultural Christian the way that the name is thrown around out there in the media, a real Christian is a follower of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is a Christian. All of those terms mean the same thing in the Bible. What purpose would there be for you or me to be a Christian but not be a follower of Jesus? To get insurance against hell in the next life? It doesn't work that way. Real, genuine, saving faith in Jesus as Savior is the 
kind of faith that makes you a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. If you don't believe enough in Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus, then you don't believe in Jesus. You're believing in something else. Scott McKnight made the insightful observation, those who aren't following Jesus aren't his followers. It's that simple. Followers follow, and those who don't follow aren't followers. Follow Jesus. He has the words of eternal life. Well, Matthew chapter 4 concludes with a description of the growing ministry of Jesus. In verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus is traveling all over the region of Galilee, teaching and healing people of both physical and spiritual maladies, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And what is the good news of the kingdom of God? Jesus is the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the salvation of the Lord, has come to open the eyes of the blind, to free the captives, to release those who sit in darkness. News is spreading quickly about this miracle worker in Galilee. People are wondering, could this be the Messiah spoken of in the prophecies? People from all over are coming, hoping to see him. And next time, we will begin looking at the things that Jesus was teaching. In closing this morning, I simply want to say this to us. Don't follow Jesus the way people follow others on social media. Follow Jesus as a true disciple, devoting your life to becoming like Jesus, seeking to duplicate him in yourself. Amen. Follow Jesus. Let us all follow Jesus. I want to close by uh, reminding you disciples out there, all of us, that we're not trusting in the quality of our discipleship, the quality of our following. We're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. Do not forget that, okay? So when I say that if you're a Christian, you're also a follower, you're also a disciple, you can't be a Christian without being a follower, without being a disciple, that doesn't say we're taking this load on our own shoulders. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one we're trusting. We're trusting in His righteousness, not in how awesome we are as a disciple. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty pathetic disciple sometimes. And I bet you you are too. But I'm not trusting in how good of a disciple I am. I'm trusting in how good of a Savior I have. Amen? All right, so you go out today with joy and peace and be encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.